Good morning. If you have your Bibles with you, open those up, please, to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. If you're looking for the book of Genesis and you can't find it, well, we'll pray for you uh, when we're done. Uh, Today, and we should actually, I think, have those passages on the screen for you. Nope. Okay. Yep. Find it in your Bible. You have to work. We're going to make you work this morning. Uh, Today we are starting a new series called In the Beginning, uh, and we are going to be walking through the book of Genesis for the next several weeks, uh, unpacking a lot of very familiar stories, hopefully finding new truths and new applications in them. And today we are truly going to start in the beginning. We're going to start at the very beginning with creation. And uh, I want to start off this series by saying, I hate going to the gym. Okay? I hate going to the gym. I hate it for a bunch of reasons. Uh, the first primary reason is I, that I hate going to the gym is because there are people at the gym who do not need to go to the gym. Do you know the people I'm talking about? They're genetically blessed. They, they've had abs their whole life. Uh, they're, they're just good-looking folks. And the only reason they go to the gym is to make the rest of us who need to go to the gym feel bad about being there, Right? But the second reason I don't like going to the gym is because the gym is where a lot of heavy lifting happens, okay? And even though in school I took weightlifting classes a couple of times, not that it shows anymore, uh, but I never understood what was supposed to be fun or enjoyable about putting large heavy weights onto a large heavy metal bar and then repeatedly lifting that bar off myself as if in an attempt to keep from being crushed to death. I just never understood what was supposed to be fun about this process, but I do understand, looking back on it in retrospect, and if I ever, you know, listened to my doctor, uh, that if you do the heavy lifting, it is ultimately good for you. Genesis 1, Genesis 1 is heavy lifting, okay? It's going to get intellectual at times, we're going to sound like a systematic theology class at portions of it, but... If you will hang with me, if, you, if we'll work through this together, it's going to be good for us at the end. All right? Well, let's read the first two verses and then we'll pray together. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father God, in the next few moments, uh, we pray that you will show us uh, truth in your word, uh, that you will show us uh, the beauty of creation, but you will also show us uh, the the serious spiritual truths and the applications that we can put directly to our own lives today. Uh, We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, So, uh, as we begin looking at this song of creation, and as we approach Genesis 1, I want to lay that foundation for you, for you to understand, Genesis 1 is a song, okay? Uh, It's, 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 in a sense, it's a Hebrew anthem, if that makes sense. Uh, Oftentimes, what happens in the Old Testament is that when an event occurs that's very significant or very important, the Hebrew people would remember it two ways. They would write a historical narrative, which is what we do in English still today, and then they would write a song about it. 
to, 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 to praise God for it, uh, to, to keep it memorized so that everyone would have it fresh in their minds. Uh, we see this in Exodus right after the crossing of the Red Sea. Have you ever noticed that there's the incident is recorded in a narrative and then right after it Miriam sings a song that's all about it that has a lot of repetition and poetic language? Or if you read the story of Deborah and Barak in Judges 4, there's a battle that happens in Judges 4 and then in Judges 5 the whole battle is told again but it's told in a song sto- sort of style and there's a lot of poetic language and figurative language. Genesis 1 is the song. It's the the poetic language. It's lyrical. That's why so much of it repeats, just like words in a song do. You know, and God said, and it was so, and the Lord saw, and it was good. All those things that repeat again and again. It's this song of creation. And look what the song tells us. Look what it shows us. The first thing it shows us is God. Look back at verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, there was God. And actually, Genesis 1 teaches us a great deal about God. About uh, The Hebrew word here is Elohim. There, there are two names for God in Genesis. We'll get to one of them later, but the one that we'll see today is Elohim. And the first thing it shows us is God is... Eternal. God is eternal. In the beginning, God. Uh, Before the world was made, before the universe came into existence, before the first second ticked off the clock, uh, before uh, the the smallest particle of matter, before uh, the slightest Newton, Joule, I don't know the term for energy, but for the slightest bit of energy existed in the universe, causing it to expand, there was God existing in eternity past for how long, we we don't know. But before there was anything, there was God. Eternal, existing in Himself, never created, self-sustaining, needing nothing. And this shows us something. The fact that God is eternal shows us that He is unchanging. You see, He's outside of time. He's outside the movement of history. Yes, He interacts with history. That's what the Bible records for us. But He's outside of it. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He says that God is outside of time in the same way that an author is outside of his book. Okay, So, so, So think of it that way. But why is this good news for us? That God is eternal and thus unchanging? Well, it's good for us that God is eternal and unchanging. It's good for us that He is the same yesterday, today, and forever because that means that the God who determined to love us yesterday will still love us today even though we stumble and we fall. His love doesn't fade. His love doesn't go away. It's also good for us because it means that the God uh, that determined to redeem us yesterday, 2,000 years ago, when He sent His Son to die on a cross for us, is the same God who is working on our redemption today through, the, through His Holy Spirit bringing conviction into our lives and His, His Word speaking truth into our lives. It is good for us that God is eternal and creation shows us God is eternal. But creation also shows us that God is three persons. Look back at those opening verses again. In the beginning, God, there's God the Father, Elohim, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep. This is after that initial just you know, spark of creation and everything comes into existence. 
and the Spirit of God was hovering over the water. So, so as the earth is still formless and void, God hasn't gone through the particulars of, of ordering and organizing His creation into what we see today. Uh, the Spirit of God is just hovering over the waters. He's, he's hovering over the, the surface of everything. And you might say, well, Stephen, you said that God was three persons. And I've only seen two. And, and I kind of look, you know, I'm reading ahead because that's what I do. And I, you know, because it makes me look spiritual, but I'm also not paying attention at the same time. And, and I don't see where the sun is. I don't see Jesus here. But he is here. Because look what happens in verse 3. And God said, let there be light. How did God make everything? How did He create everything? Does the, does the Bible say that He reached down with His hands and He kind of molded and made trees and then set them up and then He kind of went over here and was like, well, I'm going to make some animals, so let me take a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and I'll rub it. How did He do it? He spoke. It was by His Word that all things were created. And John caught on to this idea. In fact, John writes it up for us beautifully in John chapter 1. I'm going to flip there really quickly and just read this passage to you so you can see the third person of the Trinity at work in creation. This is how John puts it in John chapter 1. In the beginning, same exact words, was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. So you see, all three persons of the Trinity were present and involved in this process of creation. And what does that teach us about God, that that He is three persons? Well, because He is three persons, we can conclude that He is relational. You see, before we as humans came into existence, before anything else in creation had been made, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit existed in eternity past in relationship with each other, loving each other, knowing each other, caring for each other. And they they existed in this eternal relationship. And by the way, that's good news for us. Because it is that relational nature, it's that love that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit share for each other that caused the overflow uh, into creation that, that, that they designed us to be relational beings. Have you ever wondered why it is we as humans just need other people? Have you ever wondered why it is that if somebody's left alone on an island for a long time... Uh, how many of you have seen the movie Castaway? You've seen the movie Castaway? It's a great movie. It has Tom Hanks. He's, like, he's pretty much the only actor in the movie, right? But he carries the movie because Tom Hanks is a great actor. You remember that he makes a friend for himself out of volleyball? And even though it's absolutely crazy, as you're watching the movie, it doesn't strike you as absolutely crazy. You just kind of understand. You'd be like, well, I'd make a friend out of the volleyball too. Why? Because we, we as humans are inherently relational. Why? It's because the God who created us and made us in His image, don't skip ahead, designed us to be relational because He 
is relational. And by the way, it wasn't because God just needed to have a relationship with us. It wasn't that God was lonely because God had the, God the Father had the Son and the Holy Spirit with Him. He already existed in this perfect, holy, ultimately loving relationship. But rather, because He loved us, He blessed us with a relational nature as well so that we could experience relationship with Him and also in a secondary way to each other. God is relational. But God uh, is not only eternal, He's not only relational. He's involved and He is interested in His creation. Look what happens. Let's skip down to verse 9 very quick. Uh, God said, let there be water under the sky gathered to one place and let the dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land. He called the, he gathered the gathered waters. He called seas. And God saw that it was good. Uh, in fact, I'm going to skip down to verse 12. And look, what, look at the words that are written there. Remember I told you they're, they're, they're kind of like lyrics that repeat in this song of creation. Look what happens in verse 12. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And if you keep going, you'll see that in verse 18, God saw and it was good. In verse... Uh, let me see, where was it? In verse 26, I believe it is, God says, sees and it is good. Why this constant mention that God saw, that God saw, that God saw and it was good? Meaning that God, God saw that it wasn't lacking anything and He approved of it. Why, why that repetition that God saw? It's to show us that God is interested and involved in His creation. You see, God didn't just create the world, and then sort of start spinning it on his finger like a basketball, and then just send it off out into space and say, well, I hope that turns out. I'm going to go walk away for a while, and I'll come back later, and it's kind of like a cake in the oven. I'll come back later and check on it, and we'll see what's happened. No. God is interested. He's involved. He's watching And at this point, he's even approving. And it's good for us that that God is interested and involved because this lets us know that he cares for his creation. And by the way, that creation includes you and me. This is why Jesus can legitimately say in Matthew 10.30, even the hairs on your head are numbered. God knows, he sees, he's watching, he's interested and he's involved. In his creation. So creation shows us God. But creation also shows us man. Look at verse 26 and 27 for a minute. We're, we're going to skip ahead here for time's sake. We're, we're not going to work through all the individual days because we're going to look at the whole book of Genesis by the time this was done. And if we broke creation down to each day, we would never get out of Genesis chapter 1. But, but, but look what happens in 26. Then God said, Let us... There's that trinity again. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over the livestock and over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. So what do we see as we look at God creating man, as as this story in Genesis chapter 1 shows us man. 
Well, the first thing we see is that man is made uniquely and specifically in God's image. Uh, The only part of creation uh, that God says, let's make it in our image. By the way, there's that the trinities at work again there in that us. Notice God doesn't say, let me make man in my image, singular. No, it's us. It's, it's plural. This is the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit working together here. But what does it mean to be made in, our, in God's image? Well, the, the, the Hebrew word there uh, would be closer to our English word for a res- in our resemblance. Or, or a representation of us. Or make man a representative of us. And we're, we're going to see why in a minute. Uh, But what does it teach us that man is made in God's image? It teaches us that every human life has value. Every human life has value. Why? Because there's something just unique and wonderful and we're special and different like Barney tells us we are? No, no. It's because uh, every human being, every man, every woman... Every child, regardless of age, regardless of race, is an image bearer of God's. They bear the image of their creator. Uh, This is why we consider murder such a heinous crime. This is why we consider suicide such a great tragedy. This is why uh, war, even though it is sometimes necessary, we we consider it a terrible thing uh, and prefer peace because so many image bearers of God are destroyed. And not to spend any too much time on the soapbox here, but this is also why we as Christians are bound by God's word to see unborn lives in the womb as precious and worthy of saving. Because the only question we need to ask with regards to whether a life has value, whether a life is cherished by God, all we have to ask is, is that person human? And by the way, for an unborn baby, science tells us it has its own heartbeat, it has its own brain, it has its own lungs capable of breathing air, and that it can even hear its mother's voice, and it can sense pain, it can feel pain while in the womb. An unborn child is a human, and therefore an image bearer of God, and therefore greatly entitled to life. But there's something more here. That not only was man made in God's image, and thus we know every human life has value, but also... Man was made to represent God's rule. Because look what happens. God said, let's make man in our image, in our likeness. Remember, we said that was a representative. How is man going to represent God? He's going to represent Him uh, by showing God's reign over creation. Because look what happens. Let them rule over uh, the uh, fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, over all the creatures that move along the ground. This is an amazing thing. God has just created everything. He's just brought the universe into existence. He's just made the birds of the air and the beasts of the field and the livestock and the fish and sea. And what does He do when He creates man? God, who Himself is on the eternally enthroned and eternally in control and eternally sovereign? He says, let them rule over the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. You see, God uh, gave us this charge to be His representatives to rule over creation. So God shows us, or creation shows us God. Creation shows us man. The last thing I want us to see is that creation shows us 
relationship. Creation shows us relationship. Flip over in your Bibles uh, to uh, verse 28 very quickly. And look what happens here. Again, does God create man and say, good luck. You be good. I'll be back to check in on you in a little while. No, look what happens in verse 28. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living thing and every living creature that moves on the ground. And then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it and they will be yours for food. And all the beasts of the air and uh, all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw all that He had made and it was very good. And there was morning and there was evening. The sixth day. What does, gen- what does creation show us about relationship? <laughs> it shows us first that God gave man purpose and meaning. God gave man purpose and meaning. Did God create them and just set them in the garden and say, well, you guys just do whatever you like. Whatever feels good, go, go for it. No. What did He say? He gave them purpose. He gave them directives. He gave them something to work for and towards. Be fruitful and increase in number. By the way, if you're wondering how that happened in the Old Testament, it's the same way it happens today. And just a quick aside, and this is another rabbit that I I don't mean to chase, but I will since it's right there in the text and we're going to deal with what's in the text. Never let anyone in a fallen world tell you that Christians think sex is a bad thing. Wow, okay, it got really quiet in here. But can I tell you something on the authority of God's Word? Sex was not something that developed after sin entered the world. Do you realize sex was part of God's original creation? Now look how God intended it. It was a man and a woman in relationship with God and in relationship with each other forever. That was the context for which it was created. But it was created by God. So don't ever let a fallen world who doesn't understand Christianity tell you, oh, all Christians think that that the Bible says sex is bad. That nothing could be further from the truth. But it's more than just that. Why increase in number? Why fill the earth and subdue it? What is this purpose? Why, are we, why should there be more creatures, more humans on the earth? Why should they rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and the beasts of the field? Why should they do this? Because at this point, before the fall, they reflect their Creator's rule. They reflect and represent and resemble His glory. And so by increasing in number, by, by subduing the earth, they're going to be spreading the glory of God. That was the purpose for which man was created in so many times in life. Don't we have that moment where we say, what's the point? Why am I here? What's the meaning of life? And we go climb tall mountains and search for it. And we, we read self-help help books trying to find it. And we look for our purpose. Why am I here? What am I supposed to do? What's the point? The point is, we were created specifically to be in relationship with God and to show His glory throughout creation. And that's why, by the way, when we're not in relationship with Him, we feel purposeless. We feel aimless. It's like this. 
If you went and bought a car this afternoon, and then you drove it home, parked it in the driveway, and never moved it again, what good is that car doing? None. Now what if you said, well, I just, I just needed to own a car. I just thought it would be good to have a car. So I just went and bought one and just put it in the driveway. Because, you know, that's what I wanted to do with it. Would you do that? No, you wouldn't. Why? Because what's the purpose of the car? What's the car built to do? What's it designed to do? To get you from one place to another, right? To help you move, to transport you? When we step away from God's glory through sin, through disobedience, through rebellion, if we're a Christian and we've been saved, maybe it's just through fear or unwillingness to serve Him, what we're doing is we're taking the car and parking it in the driveway. It's, it's not doing what it's meant to do. It's not fulfilling its purpose. But not only does God give man purpose and meaning, God gave man everything he needed. How do I know that? Well, one, he's already given him woman. Okay, all right, I know it's the 8 o'clock service. You don't have to laugh. It's fine. It's okay. It's all right. Then God said in verse 20, Now I'll give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit and seed with seed in it. God gave them what they needed for food. They didn't have to work for it. They didn't have to seek after it. They didn't have to search it out. God said, here it is, and I give it to you. He gave them everything they needed, and I'm not going to get health and wealth on you, okay? I don't have the TV show. I don't have the great hair. I just, I can't do it, all right? But I do know that Christ said if we seek first his kingdom and its righteousness that all these things, meaning the basic necessities of life, because he's just talking about clothing and food, those things will be added to us. God gave man everything they needed. And the last thing I want you to see about this relationship is that God saw man as good. Look at verse 31. God saw all that he had made, and that includes man and woman at this point, and it was very good. God God looked at the people that he had made, the earth he had made, and said, they're good. And here I think is where we run into a bit of a problem for the first time in creation. Because sitting where you are this morning, you might say, Stephen, that was great for Adam and Eve back then, but there's no way God can look at me today where I sit and say, I'm good. Because Stephen, surely God knows where I've been. Surely God knows what I've done. He knows the sin that's in my heart. He knows the sin that's in my life. He knows the things I've done that are outside of His will. Uh, He knows the shame that that I've brought into my life and that I feel for the things that I've done. Stephen, there is no way God can look at me now and say, I'm good. And can I tell you something? You're right. Because of a thing called sin, God can't look at me anymore and say, Stephen's good. Because of sin in your life, God can no longer look at you and say, they're good. But what did creation show us? Creation showed us that God 
is eternal and unchanging. Which means the same God that loved us when He created us all those thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago still loves us today. It means the God that determined to redeem His creation even after it had fallen is still determined to see it redeemed today. And it also showed us uh, that God is relational. And that God made us for relationship with Him. And because He is unchanging, that desire to see us in an eternal relationship with Him has never changed. And it also showed us that God, being three persons, one of those persons, God the Son, would one day step into the world that He had created, become one of the men that He had created. Because creation shows us God is interested, He is involved And He cares for man, His image bearer. You see, God would never be satisfied until His creation, His image bearers, were brought back into that state He had designed them to be in. Brought back into an eternal perfect relationship with Him. That's why that second person of the Trinity, God the Son, would step into creation. That's why He would live a perfect life. That's why He would be good, because we were not. He would be good for us. And that's why He would die on the cross in our place, so that He would take our not good on Himself, and give us His good. And I know I'm speaking in very simple first grade terms, but it's a very simple proposition. So that He could take our bad, our not good on Himself, and give us His good, so that when He rose again three days later, He would live seated at the right hand of the Father to give us forgiveness, and give us mercy, and give us grace, if we would come back into relationship with Him, put our faith and our trust in Him. Jesus came so that we may be restored to the way God created us to be. Humans in perfect relationship with Him for all of eternity. Do you realize that's what heaven is? If you ever want to know what heaven's going to be like, you can look forward, but you can also look back to Genesis chapter 1. That's the idea. God and man, you and God, in relationship for eternity. The way it will be, and the way it was, in the beginning. Let's pray.